0: I've lost a lot of friends since I've turned There's been a lot of bitches that I've burned There's been some lessons i learned but through it all, I stand firm I lose it all in the swirl just to make it to you I lose it all in the swirl just to make it to you I may not ever have a drop talk May never have a run It's my watch May never have a billboard top spot I lose everything that I got I lose it all in this world just to make it to you I, a a runner, a I'll lose, I I'll lose it all in this world just to make it to you If you enjoyed that intro song, it's called Lose It All by Bryson Gray featuring Tyson James. They're both two up-and-coming, talented, Christian, conservative hip-hop artists. They seem like they're always charting well, whether it's album or songs on YouTube, Amazon, iTunes. And that's dealing with censorship for their message. They're independent artists, so you know you're always getting the truth. Again, they're really talented artists. I can't recommend them enough. Uh, Go check them out. Bryson Gray and Tyson James. Hey everyone, really appreciate you joining me again here for part two of communism's dance with the devil If you have not listened to part one I encourage you to go back and take a look at it as it sets the stage for where we're going with things today Today we're going to be talking more about the devious side of Karl Marx We will break it into three sections looking at his poetry and his writings then moving along to how he interacted, just a few interactions with his family and friends, and then finally the consequences of who he was and where he let his mind go. Just a quick side note, I know I mentioned this in episode one, um, but the bulk of this information does come from a book titled The Devil and Karl Marx by Paul Kengort. It's an absolute phenomenal book. It deals with what we've kind of been talking about, who Karl Marx was and his impact on communism. So if this is something you are interested in and you want to learn more of the details or get into kind of the weeds of it, this is an absolute must book for you then. Uh, Again, Paul Kengor, The Devil and Karl Marx. But without further ado, let's go ahead and jump into it, uh, starting with his poetry and his writing. Karl did get into poetry when he was in college. Now there are three poems I do want to take a look at kind of building this case that you know Carl's mind may have been a little devilish, I guess you could say. Um, now, there are plenty of other examples I could use, but just for time purposes, I want to focus solely on three of them. The first one was a poem entitled The Player, and he wrote that when he was 22 years old. It was actually published then, and I believe that was six or seven years prior to the Communist Manifesto being written. I can't remember exactly when, but I know it was in that time frame. The player is about a violinist who is playing, and as the poem goes on, he gets more frantic and in a frenzy to the point he actually calls upon the powers of darkness. What's interesting is when you get to Carl's writings, a lot of people believe that they are kind of a a, uh, type and shadow of Carl himself. In the poem, we do get introduced to the violinist's love, which people, again, believe that that's a representation of Jenny. But anyway, he gets in such a frenzy and the really the powers of darkness just kind of surround him so much that eventually he stabs his love here and kills himself in the process. So I do want to take just a small portion and read it so just kind of illustrate the verbiage that he chooses to use in, in the description and I, I think it will be kind of eye-opening. Look now, my blood-dark sword shall stab, unearingly within thy soul. God neither knows nor honors art. The hellish vapors rise and fill the brain. Till I go mad and my heart is utterly changed. See the sword, the Prince of Darkness sold it to me. For he beats the time and gives the signs. Even more boldly I play the dance of death. I must play darkly, I must play lightly, until my heart and my violin burst. Okay, so we get a very strong indication there of yeah, just how prevalent this power of the Prince of Darkness is. And, I mean, we all know that's Satan, Lucifer. So he's literally sold his soul for the devil as he's playing. And it's so strong to the point that eventually it kills him and his love. Another poem that he wrote, um, we won't get into the lyrics of it, but I do want to cover the title. It's titled Olinnaum, or Olinnaum, I I don't know. I could be very well butchering the name of it. But I do know it's an anagram for the word Manuelo, which means Emmanuel, or God. And so what Carl is saying here is he's equating this of he is his own God. He is kind of the alternative to God, as you, as you could say. Um, Satanists do use that anagram frequently um, for Emmanuel. Uh, the final poem I do want to touch on is called The Pale Maiden. Um, it's a poem It starts out, seems like it's going to be a really nice poem, but typical Carl, it, it takes a turn. It starts out with this young girl who believes in God, she prays, she's got the spirit of God within her. Um, But as the poem progresses, she falls in love with a guy who leaves to go off to war. She starts going more and more mad until eventually, well, let me just read how this concludes. But then upon the form, another encroaches to take her heart by storm against herself reproaches. To me, your love is given for time unending to show your soul to heaven is merely pretending. She trembles in her terror, icy and stark. She rushes out in horror into the dark. She wrings her lily-white hands, the teardrops start, thus fire the bosom brands and longing the heart. Thus I f- heaven I forfeited, I know it full well, my soul once true to God is chosen for hell. He was so tall, alas, of stature divine, his eyes are fathomless, so noble, so fine. He never bestowed on me, his glances at all, let me pine hopelessly till the end of my soul. So you can really see in just these couple poems the dark, twisted nature of his writing. There are two examples of experiences Carl had with with his friend and the other with his children that I want to cover. Again, like with the poems and his writings, there are other examples we could use to illustrate these points. But for time purposes, I want to kind of narrow it down to these two specific examples. The first uh, was a dealing with his friend Carl Heinzen, who tells of a time he walked a drunk Karl Marx back home. When they finally get to the house, Carl locks the door, hides the key, and tells Heinzen that he is now his prisoner as he starts to laugh at him. I believe the exact word he used was jeer, which to me kind of builds or illustrates this picture of a kind of this deep belly laugh that you would hear in a horror movie. Marx would go on to tell him that that Heinzen is now under his spell and he starts to threaten him and will attack him. Heinzen warns him to stop and then... Turns into begging him to please stop, all the while Marx continues to laugh and mock him. Finally, Heinzen does get away and he tears down Marx's front door. And as he's running out in the street, he does recall looking back at the upstairs window and he sees Carl looking out with his wet goblin eyes. Later, he would go on in life to describe Carl as a man possessed by a wicked fire. The other example. His uh, time with his children, um, and now this, I think, occurred on multiple Sundays. He would—they didn't go to church, mind you. Uh, that's not part of Karl Marx's belief system, not going to believe in God. And, and actually, there's a lot of people believe he wasn't just an atheist. He did believe there was a God, but he believed he was the enemy, direct enemy of God. So in his eyes, Karl's eyes was, God is my rival, and everything I do is to rival what God wants to do. And again, that's just a lot of speculation. Um, however, I think there's a lot of evidence to prove that point. So anyway, on Sundays, they would walk through the streets of London, and he would tell his children a story of Hans Rockle. Now, Hans Rockle was a toy maker um, that had this uh, beautiful shop, and where there he made castles, dolls, kings, knights, you name it, he could build it. He was just a magnificent toy maker. He was also a magician. Um, now, he was limited in his uh, magic because he had sold his cell, sold his soul, actually signed a pact with the devil. And because of that, he was so indebted, he could never pay that back. And um, his children go on to describe this story as making their hair stand on ends. Up until this point, we've kind of discussed the characteristic nature of who Karl Marx was, and just kind of the worthless loser that he was. Um, we've talked about now his writings the devilish influence, I would say, in his writing, and then the demonic actions that he portrayed in those couple examples we gave gave in his life. Now I want to kind of turn to what I believe are the consequences of that lifestyle and the direct impact it had on his family. Carl would lose two children, one at the age of one and the other at the age of eight, uh, both due to the living conditions that he supplied for his family and the lack of medical care. His wife would tell him at one point that she would rather be dead than be stuck in the misery she was. So you, right there off the bat, you kind of see that death, the spirit of death, is kind of hovering over this family, and, and definitely the misery certainly influencing them. But I really want to turn to two examples that his of his daughter's life and how their lives ended. It's uh I don't want to say fascinating because it's really it's just tragic is what it is. Um, if, there was a poem that we didn't discuss where it talks about characters ended their life with a suicide pact and that's literally how the poem ends is that they die together in each other's arms well Marx had a daughter named Eleanor who married a man named Edward now like Carl Edward was worthless he was egotistical hot-headed he was just a loser he didn't provide for his family he too was a mooch in fact he actually borrowed money from Freddy if you remember from the first episode Freddy was Carl's illegitimate son well Edward borrowed from him and never paid him back. He was constantly sleeping around with other women to the point that Eleanor tried to commit suicide with opium, but she was unsuccessful. Well, being the true lover that he was, he convinced her that she should try again and that with the promise that he would, it would be a joint suicide together and they would die in each other's arms. So together on March 31st, 1898, the two of them took the poison and died in each other's arms. Actually, that's not quite how it ends because she took the poison. However, he, being the despicable, really evil guy that he was, did not take it. Instead, he ran off with his 22-year-old girlfriend, taking all of Eleanor's inheritance and possessions. Now, Carl's other daughter, Laura, and her husband, Paul, did they too signed a suicide death pact together. And in 1911, with the injection of potassium cyanide, they committed joint suicide. So they actually did go through with it. Vladimir Lenin who would become the leader of the Communist Party in Russia would actually attend and speak at Laurent Paul's funeral. Again, I don't want to use the word fascinating because it's it's just so tragic and it could have been avoided. It would I really believe this all fell I mean we all have personal responsibility, but it just it has to fall at, some of it has to fall at the feet of Karl Marx and the lifestyle he lived and it was just this spirit of death from the really the spirit of darkness that he he danced with that it it, it bit his family in a very tragic way. Before I conclude, I want to just briefly touch on uh, Karl Marx's partner in crime Friedrich Engels. Uh, like Karl, he grew up in a Christian home, but unlike Karl, Engels really believed in Christianity. He really believed that to be the true religion. However, as he got older, he started questioning. And uh, what's really tragic is his family was kind of lukewarm in their faith, and, and those around him were lukewarm. They, uh, I think they believed in it, but they didn't have any natural, they couldn't reason their faith. And so when Ingalls cried out and said, I want to believe, I'm praying to continue to believe in this, he had no answers, and no one could provide that. And so I think it's important to know this is why we can't just afford to be lukewarm Christians because it's not just our own lives. We don't know those around us that that impacts and what what difference that could make for them. So anyway, as he is in this, I guess, the series of his life where he's really questioning and he gets more and more depressed, he writes a really pro- a tragically prophetic poem. And I just want to read a few lines. It It, it essentially... He's predicting Karl Marx entering his life in this poem. If, if you read what he wrote, and you know what takes place in his life, I mean, that's what it is. He's predicting Karl Marx's entrance into his life. So I just want to conclude with just a little stanzas of a poem he wrote. Who chases after his tracks with reckless rage? A man from Trier, a remarkable monster. He neither walks nor hops, but springs upon his heels, and stretches high his arms, into the air in anger, as though his wrath would seize at once the mighty canopy of heaven and tear it to the earth. With clenched and threatening fist, he rages without rest, as though ten thousand devils have seized him by the hair. It is interesting to note that Karl Marx was from Trier; that is the hometown he was from. So, if you uh, read it for what it's worth, he was predicting that this man, this this dark shadow, that would creep into his life. And uh, and this man was filled with what looked like 10,000 devils that had him by the hair. And he predicted the entrance of Karl Marx into his life. Again, tragic. Doesn't even begin to describe it. I really appreciate you guys taking the time to listen to this uh, these two-part series on Karl Marx and who he was. I hope we've really kind of developed his character and, and kind of the effects it had on his life. Uh, from here I want to to move forward and just kind of briefly touch on his views on on society and what Marxism actually is and then eventually you know what communist communism has looked like so far I'm not going to bore you with a whole bunch of details I just want to give you just small facts that can kind of make sense of you know with the world today and the influence Karl Marx had on it so again I really appreciate you guys joining with me thank you again for your support and I look forward to being with you guys soon